Well, good morning. My name is Matt Shackelford. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Central Church, and uh, I want to put a picture up on the screen and say Happy Father's Day. Uh, this was what happened in my life this week. Uh, we had absolutely, yeah, number four. Yeah. We got number four on the way, and we are so excited about that, and I was just struck afresh this week of what a joy it is to be a father. Rejoice with all the fathers across the room. All those of you watching online as well, we hope that this is a very special Father's Day for you as well, and uh, that your worship, uh, or that your response turns itself to worship throughout this moment of Father's Day. Well, if you're with us this morning, we are studying God's Word through the summer, and we're going to be in a new series. Let's take our Bibles. Let's open to Philippians chapter 2. We're in Philippians chapter 2 together this morning. As you're turning there, I want to go to a place where I think about uh, all the time. Uh, I think about what I will leave behind after I'm gone. What will you want said about you fathers after you're gone? What will you want your children to say? What will you want your wife to say? What will be said about you? It's a good question. It's a hard question. But it's a helpful question because it helps us evaluate where we're spending our time, where we're investing our energies. Just think about it. What will be said about you? One father was asked that, hey, you're laying there. They're looking in. What do you want said about you as your friends, as your family look upon you and they remember you? One guy said, well, I'd want them to say he loved his family. He loved his children. He was a family man. The next guy said, well, I would want them to say he made a huge difference in other people's lives. He he affected the world, and he made a worldwide difference. The third guy said, I would want them to look at me and say, look, he's moving. (laughs) I love that illustration um, because I think that's… That's really the norm in the church and really in the world. The church tends to get to a place where we struggle to keep moving, amen? We struggle to be busy with the right things. Over time, what happens, and this is just, this is just what happens to us all, over time we tend to get inactive. We tend to get used to the way that things are, and sometimes good things are forced out by the busyness of life by the obligations of our work. Sometimes we get confused on what our purpose is in this world. And sometimes we even get to a place where we just coast. I put in my time. I've done my thing. Now it's time for someone else to do it. And we stop serving. We stop pressing. And uh, I think COVID-19 has done that to us in a big way. I think COVID-19 has put us all on the couch in one way or another, and it sort of cut back on the things where we were serving as a church, and some of you have stopped serving. And so, so today, I think one of the problems that we have as a church is the saints have been transformed into spectators. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. My former professor, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Theological Seminary, said, uh, he said that football is a game of 22 people desperately needing rest, with 70,000 fans desperately needing exercise. That's a good word. I like that. And then he'd pause and he'd say, that's football. And then he'd say, and that's the church too. There's always, I mean, it's just always been this way where there's like 20% or 10% of the people, they do a lot of the work, and then there's just others who just, who just attend, and there's no real ministry, but I don't want to be that way. I don't want my children to look at me and say, well, he, he had a pretty good life, but he didn't really do much. He just stared at his phone. He just looked at Instagram. He just looked at Facebook. He He really didn't have that big of an impact. I want my kids, I want my family to look at me and say, he was active in the service of the gospel. He was active serving in the church. Look at him. He was moving. That's what I want. One of my favorite characters in the New Testament is Stephanus who in 1 Corinthians 16, he's really an unknown character, but Paul blesses him and says, blessings on the household of Stephanus. They are addicted to the ministry of the saints. I love that word. They are addicted to ministry. That's the kind of guy I want to be. I want people to look at me and say, he's addicted to ministry. He can't turn it off. 
He's serving the saints. That's what I want for all of us. I routinely pray that prayer, Lord, don't let me die till I'm dead. It's a good prayer. I want to keep moving for Jesus Christ. So over the summer, what I've decided to do is we're going to get back to the book of Luke. I have, here's my problem. I have so many sermon series that I want to do, and it's really going to take about 20 years. And so buckle up. I want to do one on heaven. I want to do one on end times. I, I, I want to get back to the book of Luke and finish, finish the book of Luke because I just think that's healthy to get through a gospel and see the work of Jesus Christ. We're going to get back to that. But for the summer, where it's such a strategic place, I want to preach a, a sermon all about service. It's entitled, Put Me In, Coach. Put Me In, Coach. How many of you said that to your coach growing up? How many of you remember the movie Rudy. Anybody? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember Rudy? Put me in, coach. I can do it, coach. That's the heart I'm looking for in this sermon series. I want in. I want to serve. I want to help. We're off the counselor's couch, and uh, whenever we were doing that series, I got a lot of good feedback, a lot of people watching online from all over the country, and I got a ton of good feedback, but that's pretty normal. When you talk about counseling, when you talk about like working on yourself, a lot of people get really excited. Um, but, but really, part of health, part of getting healthy is getting serving. And so whenever I do biblical counseling with someone, I always recommend that you go and you serve somewhere in the church. Why? Because you need to look away from yourself. You need to look outside of yourself. And that's one of the pathways, one of the on-roads, uh, on-ramps to getting healthy. You'll never be healthy unless you're helping. You've got to get serving. And so that's part of increasing your health. It's that Christians are made to be servants and not spectators. And that's what I really want to sum up this series with. Christians are made to be servants, not spectators. That's what you and I were made to do. And you will find fulfillment when you are doing what you were made to do. And so today I've got a sermon for you. It's entitled, Servability. And I, I know that's not a word. I'm making up words again. Uh, it's like George W. Bush. Remember him? Uh, strategery, right? It's, I'm making up all these weird words. Servability. That's what we're doing today. I want to talk about the abilities that will move us from spectating to servant. So let's stand together in honor of God's Word. We're in uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 17. Paul says this, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might that I may be less anxious. So rejoice in him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And we'll stop there. Uh, maybe on the the way into the building today, you notice the sign over some of the entrances. Did you, did you notice this sign? It says, uh, it says servant's entrance. What you were doing when you came into this room is that you were all signing up for, for service here at Central Church. So thank you very much. You're all servants now. You're in the room. You made the decision. 
I, I actually took this from uh, a church over in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. They put it up on the entrance of their sanctuary, servant's entrance, and they left it there. This is St. Bede's uh, Church in New Mexico, and they put up this at the top of their entrance. But here's the, here's the funny part. There's only one way in and one way out of the sanctuary. In order to go into the sanctuary, you have to cross the line that says servant's entrance. It's the reminder that none of us will ever get beyond the point as the people of God, you will never graduate to a point where you can stop serving. This is who we are. And by the way, this is why the church in America is so unhealthy. One reason is because the church in America is not helping. It's not serving. You and I were designed by God to be servants. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three servants of God, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. They each had an ability that got them off the bench. They had some servability. And so today we're going, to we're going to try to unpack that and see what we can gain from each of these three men of God, these fathers in the faith, how we can be servants of God. So may God bless the reading, the preaching of His Word. You may be seated. Hey, let me talk about the elephant in the room, all right? Uh, I realize at the very beginning that the task I have before me is impossible today, and I can't do it without God's help. So I need you, some of you saints of God, you who are walking with the Lord, maybe some of you who are serving, just to pray along with me today. The task ahead of me today is, friends, it's hard. This is a hard text to preach because this is just a norm in the church. There is this this percentage of the church that serves and then this percentage of the church that just consumes. And this is a hard text. Um, my kids and I were watching some viral videos on YouTube just the other day. And there's this one of this kid is sitting in the back seat of the car. And at some point, he just takes his shoe, throws it <laughs> out the window. I saw that this week. And you know what I said? That's what they're going to do to my sermon on Sunday. Some of them, are, you are going to leave the parking lot this week. You're going to take my sermon, and it's going to go out the window, and you're going to say the thought, or you're going to think the thought, I'm the exception. I, I have an exception for why what he's saying doesn't apply to me. My circumstance, my, my situation doesn't apply. And you're going to throw my sermon out the window, and uh, I want to give you a couple thoughts that maybe would would stop you from doing that, all right? So just hang with me for just a minute. First thought, number one, we need you. Like, we really need you. In this moment in the life of Central Church, I was talking to Tim Clay. Tim Clay uh, has been here since he was a child. He owned a crib in the nursery at Central Church. His whole life he's been here, and some of you, that's your story. But he said to me the other day, this summer is the most strategic summer I've ever seen at Central Church. I mean, you think about what we've gone through. We had some reorganization with CLC where we were majorly in the hole and we were struggling as an organization. I was worried and God delivered that. We made some changes and now the fruit is being shown and we're cash, very cash positive. It's doing very well. God has really done a great work in CLC. Amen. Yeah, I'll, absolutely. We, we moved uh, Deborah and Kevin Gordon over to that ministry, and God has just made that ministry flourish. He's done a great work. Then we brought in three new pastors, and all three of those pastors are building their ministries this summer, and we're already seeing growth. We're already seeing God work in those ministries. Children's ministry, youth, yeah, amen, youth ministry, young adults ministry, amen. God is building those ministries. Then we brought in Dr. Allman, and we brought in Gus, and my wife came to me just this morning after first service, and she was emotional, and she was like, you can't believe the lesson Dr. Allman just taught. It was unbelievable. And I was a little, I got to be honest with you, something inside of me just kind of got a little defensive because she wasn't in first service. She was listening to some other guy. Um, uh, but <laughs> she's here now. Um, but God's working, and God's doing something. This is a strategic summer, and in August, we're going to take off. But we have to have the servants in place to take off. We need the guns on the battleship. We need the servants ready to build those ministries, 
and we need you to engage. And so, so let me just tempt you with that first. We need you, but second, you need this. If you're ever going to be a sanctified, functioning, healthy Christian, part of growth, part of, of being healthy is serving. That's why in counseling, when I do counseling, I always say, where are you serving in your church? That's part of getting healthy. You need this. So let me give you three characteristics, three uh, servability, the three abilities from three saints of God that we find in this passage that you need to have. Number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, you need to offer a worshiper's heart of expendability, and that's what we see in Paul. Paul's the first one. We see him as a worshiper. The reason that he is able to do great things for the church is because he's primarily a worshiper. Repeat after me. It's not about me. Oh, we got to get better. It's not about me. You've got to believe that. You've got to be a worshiper if you're ever going to be serving in the church. You've got to really believe that. Paul had a mentality that was others-focused and God-focused. It was not about me. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice we have a heart sickness. Notice some worship language that we see in Paul that would push us to be worshipers. Look at verse 17. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. What is this? What are we looking at here? Paul constantly uses this image of a sacrifice and a drink offering. Now, we saw this when we studied 2 Timothy. Do you remember in 2 Timothy, we talked about the drink offering a little bit and how Paul saw his life like that. This is, we see it again here in Philippians. He's a drink offering, but he's talking about a sacrificial offering. In the Old Testament, in Exodus and Leviticus, Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, a offering, a sin offering was prescribed for Israel. That offering was to happen every day. Every day, a priest would make an offering on, on behalf of all of Israel. The smell would go up, and it would just, you could smell it in the air, the burning of a sacrifice all the time. It was in your clothes. It was constant. Why was it constant? Well, it was God saying to Israel and God saying to us as well that, that you and I need a sacrifice for our sins. You, it was the constant reminder that we're sinners before a holy God, and we need a priest to come and to offer a sacrifice that would be acceptable before that holy God. That's why it was constant. So that sacrifice is being offered, and then the drink offering was the last part of that sacrificial offering. What the priest would do is he would take this drink offering, about two, about half a gallon, two quarts of uh, red wine, and he would take it at the very end while the coals were still sizzling, while the, the stones were still red hot, and he would take that wine, he would pour it all over the offering. There would be a, a flame from the alcohol in the offering, but there would also be this puff of smoke that sort of wafted up. It went up into the air. And as you read Leviticus, as you read Exodus, that, that smell was a very pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. That's the idea. A drink offering. And Paul's saying, that's what I am. I'm poured out like a drink offering in the sacrificial offering. Paul said, it's not about me. Paul could serve because he had a, a heart for God, a worshiping heart for God. Paul says, I'm totally devoted. My life is just fuel for God's fire. I just want to be a pleasant aroma to God. And so at the very beginning, you and I have to ask that question, am I living with this, this heart of worship? Like, am I, am I truly devoted, totally devoted? Have I put my entire life, poured out my entire life on the altar? Have I done that? That's the question. Have I gotten to the point where I've said, God, you own me. Like our brother who was baptized earlier, you, you own every room in my house. You own every part of me. You own my family. You own my house. You own my children. You own my money. You own my days off. God wants all of you. He wants you to be a worshiper, and you'll never be a servant unless you're a worshiper. Paul gives us a good example of his own selflessness to do this in verse 19. Look at this. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. Don't, 
just pause there for just a second. Imagine what Timothy was to Paul under house arrest. Timothy was that person to encourage him, encourage his heart. Timothy was that guy who would, who would also come alongside him, maybe bring him a meal, maybe minister in his need. He could go for this. He could go for that. He was Paul's gopher, right? I'm going give, to give him up because he would be of benefit to you. It's not about me. It's not about me. He's worshiping and he's willing to give up anything. He's saying, you own my disciples. You own my everything. That's the heart we've got to get if we're going to get to this place where we can have a citywide, worldwide impact for the gospel. Are you a giver or are you a taker? That's the question. Fathers, ask that of yourself today on Father's Day. Do you give to your family or are you a taker? John Piper wrote a book, best book on missions that I've ever read, called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he, he tells the story of a missionary, a guy named Henry Martin. Henry Martin, what an incredible story. Henry Martin was uh, at early on enamored with academic success and very brilliant individual. And he says that he went after all that with passion, but he got to the height of his academic graduation and he realized that he was sort of grasping after a shadow and it didn't fulfill his longings of his heart. That's where some of you are at, by the way. You're grasping for a career. You're grasping for a relationship. You're grasping for more money. It's never going to fulfill you. He discovered that. He discovered that. And he, after he graduated, he said, I'm not made for this. This isn't fulfilling. So he says, I'm going to the mission field. I'm going to become a missionary. I'm going to go to India. There's only one problem with that. He was dating a young lady named Lydia. And Lydia said, Henry, if, if you go become a missionary, I'm not going with you. I'm really close to my mother. I can't imagine leaving my mother behind in England. If you stay, we'll get married, have a nice life, have lots of kids. We'll have a great life. If you go, I'm not going with you. Henry Martin said that as he was considering that, he considered it for 15 months, ended up writing her letters for five years, trying to get her to change her mind and express his love for her. But as he, this is funny, as, as he explained the situation, he said it was like a drum beating in his heart. India or Lydia? India or Lydia? He ends up going. And thousands of people become Christian. And there are thousands tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in heaven who are praising God for all eternity that it was India and not Lydia. I listen to that story and I say, I'm so weak. I, I don't know what sacrifice even is after hearing that. But I want to be like that. Are you like that? Are you challenged by that this morning like me? I hope you are. I'm challenged by that. Could I really give up those things? Could I really throw those things away and say, Lord, you own my life. You own my future. You own my family. Could I really do that? Are you with me this morning? Are you throwing my sermon away? Are you throwing it away? All right, hold on to it. Because if you're going to be a servant, you've got to have that heart of expendability. Number two, write this one down. You've got to offer a worshiper's heart of expendability. You've also got to cultivate a family's heart of reliability. Oh, I love this word. This is what I need for, for people to come alongside us as a church. We need reliable servants. I need, I need reliable servants of God to come along, these new pastors, these new ministers of the gospel, to come alongside our elders. We need reliable servants, but not just any kind of reliability. We need like family reliability. When I was a kid, Man, I had a great childhood. I grew up in 9852 Deep Woods Drive. The neighborhood was Deep Woods. We were in the middle of the woods in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
And uh, in Louisiana, we had a great childhood. I, I would get on my bicycle as a little boy. I must have been eight or nine years old. And I would drive around the neighborhood with a gang of, of uh, young men who were bikers as well. And we all went around the neighborhood on our hogs and uh, on our bikes. And we had uh, playing cards in the spokes. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was, it was like Dennis the Menace a little bit. And uh, we, we kind of ran the streets and we ran the woods and we had a great time. Uh, I, would, I would leave at 8 in the morning on Saturday. I would not come home until 6, 7, 8 at night uh, on Saturday night. And those were the days. And I look back on that and say, what were my parents thinking? Um, I look back on that and, and think to myself, I would never allow our kids to do something like that. Some of you are like, well, it's different times. Maybe. Maybe you just hear about more stuff today. I don't know. But, um, but that was life. And I remember I would hike those woods, and I would sometimes be out in the woods alone, and I had a hiking stick. I had this beautiful stick that I, I crafted, and I had a knife, and I, I, I skinned it down and shined it up, and, and it was this beautiful hiking stick, and that was my stick. And, and I walked around the woods with that, and until one day I encountered the neighborhood bully, a guy, a squirrely guy named Scud Farkas. No, that's a Christmas story. Um, I can't remember his name, just to be honest with you. But, but he caught up with me, and he took my stick, and he said, can I see that stick? And he took it, and he snapped it in two. And as a little kid, I, I don't even know how old I was. I wasn't that old, but it broke my heart. And I'd worked so hard on that stick, and I took it home, and, and uh, my brother heard about it. Now, this was crazy. My brother, as soon as he heard about it, he runs out the door. He gets on his bicycle, and he's going to fight the neighborhood bully couple, three years older than me, the neighborhood bully, and he's going to fight him. But here's the crazy part. My brother John and I, we were in a lot of conflict as brothers. It was fight club at our house routinely, like weekly, daily. We were constantly fighting, and John and I were constantly in just big conflict. But when John found out someone was messing with his family, he got on the bike to go fight the bully. There's something, I, I, I think about that, there's something powerful about the pull of family, is there not? I mean, aren't you, are, there's something, like you don't mess with my kid, you don't mess with my brother, you don't mess with my family, we're going we're gonna to throw down if you come after my family. That's what we see here in Timothy. Timothy had a family's reliability, you could count on him. And Paul says that, hey, this guy's like a son to me. We're in the family together. Friends, this place is to be a family if it's to be anything. And we got some bullies to fight here at Central Church, don't we? Culture's getting darker. Pastors up in Canada are getting thrown in jail for having church. That's crazy. I don't know what the day is holding for us next, but whatever it holds, we've got to face it together as a family. And we've got to face down the neighborhood bullies. We've, we've got to link up with other people. I need you coming alongside Pastor Derek and saying, I'm going to link up with you, and we're going to face down some bullies that are trying to take our kids. I need you linking up with Pastor Justin and saying, we're going we're gonna to throw down against some bullies that are coming after our young people, and I'm going to serve alongside you, and I'm going to help you face those bullies. I need you coming alongside Pastor Greg and saying, look, when you're out there sharing your faith, when you're out there, when you're out there at the abortion clinics, I'm going to be with you and we're going to face down some bullies of our culture together. We need that. Which, by the way, I got a cool story to share with you. Uh, just the other day, Greg and his team, they were out there at the abortion clinic. Someone was coming in for an abortion and uh, they had an appointment for an abortion and the team lovingly, graciously came alongside that individual and loved them away from that place to life choices where they went that afternoon. Amen? We got some bullies to face, but don't let our ministers of the gospel do it alone. That's what we see here. Notice in verse 20, notice some characteristics of reliability. Write this one down. Write down the word shepherding. 
If you're going to help face down some bullies, you've got to be a shepherd. Notice in verse 20, Paul's talking about Timothy. I have no one like him. Uh, the Greek word like-souled, that's the word. He's, he's a like-souled. He's like me. I brought him up in the faith. We, I know his heart, and he's, he's a shepherd. Verse 20, he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word concern, it's, it's sort of a pastoral care. This guy cares for you, and he cares for people. He's concerned. Does it concern you that most of the examples that our young people in high school and junior high have, they're terrible examples. All the YouTube personalities that are deconstructing their faith, that's what they watch. Does that concern you that most of the information they receive as young people is wrong? Seven days a week, this is a culture that wants to dismantle your family. Are you concerned about that? Are you concerned that the most influential moments of a child's life is grade school through high school? We get this window that we have, this opportunity that we have. Are you concerned about that and the influences? Are you concerned? This is a world that's not friendly to our young people. It's a world with so few examples. You could be an example for them. You could point them to Christ. You could deliver them the gospel. Are you concerned about their reception of the gospel? Second, he was reliable in motive. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You could count on this guy's character. You could count on his motivation for what he's living for. He's living because he wants to be like the Apostle Paul. He wants to be a pleasing offering before the Lord, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. He doesn't have ulterior motives. He's not trying to look flashy. He's not trying to be that guy with a, a great reputation or a big church or whatever. That's not who this guy is. He's got a motive, a singular motive, to please Jesus Christ. He doesn't want the paycheck. He doesn't want the honor. He doesn't want the reputation. He doesn't want the respect. He, he just, he's lacking in worldly motives. Third, he had a reliable track record. You know Timothy, verse 22. Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? This is an amazing story. It's a father-son story. Timothy's dad was an unbelieving Gentile. Crazy story. And when Paul comes around, he comes to Lystra and he gets stoned in Lystra. Maybe even Timothy saw that happen. But while he's in Lystra, he picks up Timothy, and he gets to know Timothy, pours his life into Timothy like a father and son relationship. He trains him. He brings him along on the second missionary journey, brings Timothy along. Timothy goes church to church, and over time he gets, he gets proven. He gets a track record of trustworthy steadfastness. Just write that word down, steadfast. What a great goal. Steadfastness. In the army, they uh, intentionally put you under major stress in something called boot camp. How many of you have had the joy of being in boot camp? Put your hands up. Oh, a lot of them. First service, we had a lot too. Yeah, awesome. Boot camp is, uh, well, it's a place where you're tested. What they do is they, they put you under extreme stress, intentionally testing you. Why? because they want to make sure that people in the army are stable and servant-hearted no matter what. What they'll do is they'll, they'll get you up at 3 a.m. They'll call everybody out of, your, out of their bunks. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Up, 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 everybody up. We're going out to a field. They get you out to the field, and the commander, the drill instructor says, I've lost my coin. It's my favorite coin. I need you to search the field and find my coin. 3 a.m. After an hour of searching, the drill instructor announces, well, I had it in my pocket the whole time. What do you know? Go back to bed. Drill starts in 20 minutes. That's boot camp. That's boot camp. What's he doing? They're testing you. They're trying to secure. They're intentionally testing you because they want to make sure that the people who are in the army are stable and servant-hearted even when things are hard, even when it doesn't go your way. Friends, the church is the same way. You will have drama in this church. There will be moments of instability. We've had them in our past. We're going to have them in our future. And what God wants His people to be is stable, steadfast, 
when someone gets sick, when someone passes away, when things change. You won't like all the decisions. You won't like all the style choices. You won't like all the things happening on the leadership level. Timothy was reliable during emergencies. He was tested. The question is, do you have that long-term heart of reliability? That's what it means to be a family servant, a reliable servant. I can count on you, your family. We had something crazy um, happen at our house just a few weeks ago. We had three widows here at Central Church over to the house, and um, we had the joy of just having a meal with them, getting to know them, and just kind of serving them was just a delight for Ashley and I. And so we had them in our living room, and at one point we were having coffee, and I just said, ladies, what is something that my wife, what is something we can just, we just want to pray for you. How can we pray for you? And and one of them said something so profound, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. She said, Pastor Matt, pray that those who come behind us would find us faithful. I will. Would you pray that for me? That's what I, my heart was saying. Yeah, I, that's what I want too. I mean, that's that's what we got to have here. We need to have some family, faithful reliability. And that's the ability that takes you from spectating to service. You're a reliable family member. Christians are made to be servants, not spectators. Last point and we're done. Epaphroditus is the third guy. And, and let me say this at the very beginning. He's one you may not know very well. Uh, you need to live out a soldier's heart of responsibility. Epaphroditus was like a soldier, and he was responsible. He was responsible. Notice verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Soldiers are often anonymous, and that's a good point. You might just write that word down, anonymous. Soldiers are oftentimes anonymous. What I love about Epaphroditus is he's a nobody. He, he, all that we know of this guy is verse 26, verse 27, verse 30. He's sick. He's sick to the point of death, and he almost died. He risked it all for the gospel. That's all we know. He appears nowhere else. But that's so encouraging, isn't it? That God doesn't always use the big flashy things. Most of how God builds His church, listen to this, most of how God builds His church is just the unseen heroes of the church, the guys serving in the ministries, the week in, week out, wiping noses, uh, serving treats, uh, working with the God, teaching lessons, doing hand motions, showing up to counsel teenagers, going out on the streets, sharing the gospel with Greg and his team. It's just the, the, the unsung heroes, unsung heroes of the faith that are never, ever seen. And that's how God builds his church. And some of you are saying, what could I do? You could do a lot. You could do a whole lot. This guy was just a, a traveling companion. He most likely was the guy they sent along with the money from city to city. You would never travel alone with a, a, a large sum of money. So you would send a group of people, and he came along as probably the muscle, the protection. That's probably what he was doing. He was just guarding the money, and he traveled with other guys, and he got sick to the point of death. But this is the reminder that God uses nobodies to build his church. And notice the balance of his responsible soldier-like character. He's a responsible soldier that's balanced. Look at, this next, look at this next phrase here. Epaphroditus, he's my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Look at the balance of those three terms. Do you see it? Brother, he's in the fellowship. He's known. He's going to a shepherd group. He's known in the body. We're fellowshipping together. But the problem is some people never move beyond that. He's also a fellow worker. He's, he's actually doing something. He has tethered himself to the mission of God in some tangible way, and he's doing something in the church, and he's also a fellow soldier. He is defending the faith. Now, you can, you can see these three things, and, and you can become out of balance in any one of them. That's the crazy part. Man, I, I watch these guys on Facebook, and they think it is their job in the world to correct every bad thought on Facebook, and they just go on sort of a keyboard warrior rant on Facebook, but they're never in fellowship. 
and they're never actually sharing their faith with someone on the… They just think it's their role to correct everything. And then there's guys that aren't in fellowship, but they're serving. You can become unbalanced on any of these three things. The goal is to be a soldier that has a balanced life. That's what we see here. Not only is he balanced, not only is he anonymous, he's taking some risks. Look at verse 26. He's been longing for you all. He's been distressed. So, so this is his, his actions are sort of impacting his life. He, he gets ill, ill to the point of death. God has mercy on him. Next verse, verse 20, let's go to verse 30. He nearly died. That's how much risk he's taking, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Now, this is an interesting word. You might circle it, underline it, highlight it. It only appears this one time in the entire New Testament. It's the word gambling. This is why theologians have called this guy God's gambler, all right? He is gambling his life, taking some risks for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the only time you will ever come to Central Church and hear the pastor tell you, you ought to be gambling this week, all right? What I mean by that is your life when you risk it to go on a trip, a mission trip, when you risk it to give up your time, when you risk it to gamble away your resources and invest it into the church, that's not really a gamble. That's no gamble at all. It's a sure bet because the Lord has promised it. There will be returns that come from it. So, this is God's gambler. Now, it's an interesting, interesting parallel. His name, Epaphroditus, it's some derivative of Epaphrodites the God of luck and love, or, or gambling and love. That's, that's what that God was. In fact, this is really interesting. When Greek soldiers would, would gamble and they had the throwing of the die, they would throw die and they would cry out into the air, Epaphroditus! They would say this guy's name, Epaphroditus, winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? They would just cry it out, Epaphroditus. It's almost like uh, saying, big money, or have luck on me, Epaphrodites, or hear me, Epaphrodites. This guy's gambling his life away, but he's investing it in the gospel. That's honorable. You and I need to do that. We don't need to play it safe. We need to give our time. We need to give our money. We need to invest our resources into the service of Christ. Last sub-point, and we're done. We need to, if we're going to be a responsible soldier, we've got to cooperate. Notice verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor such Men, when we see other people carrying out the work of the gospel, you and I are called to receive them. You and I are called to build them up. When you see those volunteers, when you see those ministers of the gospel, don't be that constant critic. Some of you think that your gift is criticism. That's not a gift. That's a discouragement to the church. D.L. Moody, I love this illustration. I use it all the time. D.L. Moody was stopped by this woman who said, D.L. Moody, Pastor Moody, I don't like the way you share the gospel. I don't like the way you're evangelizing. And he said, well, madam, how do you share it? How do you share Jesus? She said, oh, well, I don't. I don't particularly feel called to that. I, I have another ministry. I have something else that I do. And you do that, and I do this. And, and Moody looked at her and said, I like my way better. I don't like your way. You're not sharing at all. Sometimes we're critical and we need to be the kind of church that lays down criticism of those who are serving. All of us need to be the kind of people that encourage the servants of God. Ministry, it's been said, can be like two bike riders riding in tandem going up a hill. They climb the hill together in a tandem bicycle. One of them is pedaling hard on the front, and he says, after he gets over the hill, he says, boy, that hill was hard. And the guy on the back says, yeah, it was hard. I was afraid we were going to fall backwards the whole time, so I just kept the brakes on. That's what it's like when there's just constant criticism and critique in the family of God. We need to be careful to do what Paul tells the Philippian church to do, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Don't complain against them. Don't criticize them. Don't put the brakes on against what they're trying to do. 
That's what we need to do. Okay, we're done. Week one, what do we need to do to apply this sermon to our life? Let me give you just a couple thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, write down the word go. Uh, The thing that marks all three of these guys is that they're all willing to go. All three of them are fully engaged with what God's doing. That's the big sin of the church. Oftentimes when God's working, God's people don't want to. We need to be willing to go when God is working. And so you need to ask that question, what am I investing in? What does my, like, could someone look at my calendar and say, yep, Matt's engaged in ministry Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Does your calendar reflect your values? Does your calendar reflect what you've been called to do? That's step one. You need to make sure you're willing to go. Christians are made to be servants not spectators. And beloved, let me just say this to you pastorally. Can I just speak into each of your life? You've got to determine before you leave this room who you are, what your identity is. Is what that sign says on the entrance true or not? Are you truly a servant of God? You've got to say, that's the number one thing that's true. It's more true. It's a greater truth than every other thing about me. Yes, I'm an accountant at FedEx, but that's not the truest thing about me. The truest thing about me is that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. The truest thing about me is not that I'm a delivery driver. It's not that I'm a real estate agent. It's not that I'm, I'm working at international paper as, as a whatever, an accountant or whatever. No, friends, the truest thing about me is that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You need to decide that before you leave and let that decision interpret every other decision you will make this week. Where you're investing your time, where you're investing your money. Second, you need to have a place where you serve. Now, I'm going to help you with this one, okay? You're going to come back next week, all right? You're going to come back next week and the following weeks And we're going to tell you some places where we just need you to plug in. I need you to take some risks. I'm coming to you as your pastor, and I'm saying we are in a place. Like, I'm in this place where I'm just training leaders, training up servants. Eventually, we're going to train up some deacons. That's that's our desire. We need to train up some leaders in the organization. The staff is coming together. It's all coming together, all right? But it's not going to happen unless we get some servants. So next week, you're going to come back, and we're going to tell you some places where you can serve. Come back next week and the following weeks, and we're going to help you get plugged in, all right? To get healthy, we've got to get helping. And you've got to be like these men, willing to give up anything. Third application, let's be really careful with our tongue. Let's not criticize the servants of God that are working. You will see ministers put to work all across this campus— Let's build them up. Let's encourage them. Man, when I was in seminary, I read this book. It was called From Jerusalem to Irangira. Irangira. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Irangira? Irangira. Thank you. Irangira. And uh, I think they make you read that at every seminary. Do you have to read that? Yeah, it's, it's a... It's this huge, thick missions book. It's uh, this biography. It's like a missional biography and a history of missions. And those stories in this book are crazy. All these pastors, all these missionaries who, who lost their houses and burned down and they were killed. And some of them were eaten by cannibals. And you start after finishing that book thinking thoughts like, man, I've got it pretty good. I mean, this is, this is not a bad thing. And those guys had it really, really hard And they weren't having fight about preference level stuff in their churches. They were like trying to survive. And I came out of reading that book thinking, I need to be really careful with my tongue when I criticize a ministry or a minister of the gospel. And it's like after reading that book, the Lord just put this trap on my mouth that was so healthy. That needs to happen. We need to be really careful criticizing the people of God who are working for the Lord. As we close, there was a individual who I think embodies this text. His name's Bill Bright, and here's a picture of him back in the day. Many of you know this name because he was huge with Campus Crusade for Christ. He would, man, he would go on all these college campuses, and he would share the gospel. He developed the Jesus film, the four spiritual laws, and he walked through all of that. Some of you have, some of you are a product of that. Gave his life to that ministry. 26,000 staff members were a part of that. 225,000 volunteers were a part of that ministry. He shook the world. I mean, he shook the world as a servant of God. And somebody asked him, 
how is it that God used you so greatly? This is what he said. He said, one day I wrote out and signed my name at the bottom, a contract with God. It said, from this day forward, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he said, that day changed my life. On your handout, at the bottom of that handout, there's a contract. You could write your own. Today, some of you need to sign that contract because it's the servant that God will use to change the world. Heads bowed, eyes closed as the team comes out. You need to make that commitment today. Some of you need to bow the knee. You need to make that commitment. You need to evaluate your investments. You need to ask the question, am I healthy? Am I helping? Am I engaged with the mission of God? Or is it all about me? If you need help, there are people standing by ready to pray with you. There'll be someone up here at the front, an elder. There'll be someone in the hospitality room in the back. I want to encourage you to do that right now. In the coming weeks, we're going to give you opportunities to respond. We will talk to you about your gifts. We will talk to you about where you can serve. You need to be here over the next few weeks. Beloved, if you're here and you need to make a change, would you just do that right now in this room? If God's really convicted you of something, would you do that right now? Would you at least start praying about it? Lord, where do you have? Don't throw away the sermon. Don't throw it out the window on the way home. This is for you. This is for me. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't listen to a sermon like this and say, well, I just need to serve. I just need to do better. That's what I need. I just need to clean myself up. Then I'll be acceptable before God. That, that is not the gospel. Friends, the gospel is that that God saves you and He changes you and He makes you bear fruit. And out of that fruit, you begin a life of service. Some of you aren't, aren't at the place of this text this morning. You're at the very beginning. You need to believe the gospel. That's step one. That you're a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Creator God's great Savior who came into the world, truly God, truly man, died on the cross, rose from the dead, resurrected, coming again so that whoever would repent and believe in his name might have everlasting life. And you don't have to clean yourself up today. You can do that right now, and then he will change you. Father, I pray for my friends. If someone is here and they need to believe the gospel to turn from their sins, pray that that would happen today in the name of Jesus. Pray that you would raise them to a new life, that they'd be born again. Father, for the saints here at Central Church, Lord, help us. Put us into the service. Help us to be good family, good soldiers. Father, that we would serve each other well, but most of all, we would serve you. We love you. We pray this in your son's precious name. And all God's people say it. Amen.